Welcome to Good Money. Clothes are oppressive. Nudists got it right. I really didn't see that coming. Sorry. Welcome back. <laughs> we were just talking about tanning, actually. As you can tell, Mark is substantially darker than he usually is. Look, I'm working look at hard this, in the garden. This, look at this complexion of his. And to, by, by working hard, I mean tanning. Yep. He does not have one of those tanning mirrors like some of our neighbors do. Um, <laughs> so we're just going to get off this topic. I think that's the important important side of all of this. You're uh, back. That's what's important. You're, not, I, a, you're not a Skype call anymore. I don't have to look at the little... Um, yeah, actually, I think we should Jacob. show this to people. So if you haven't been, if yeah, if you haven't seen this before, um, Jacob was in England pretending to be an academic, and so I had to look at this picture. This, this is. I didn't Jacob. know what this looked like until I got home so last we'll show night. Show it to the camera. Where is which one is it? Yeah, that it's, one. It's remarkably similar. Yeah, I'm really glad you're back. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that guy haunted me. Extremely haunted. Yeah, and you know when I was over in England. I mm -hmm. got to thinking one day. It was an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to do it again. But mm -hmm. what I came up with that day was nothing that I actually came up with on my own. It's all St. Thomas. I was reading through St. Thomas, and St. Thomas at one point says that there are six tell signs of how to discern whether or not your city is obsessed with money. Okay. And I thought, man, this sounds like a great talk saint thomas six signs that your city is obsessed with money you won't believe number five <laughs> they're still doing those kind of like list listicle things i think so i, I mean that's in a while. I, I think uh jordan peterson just came out with 12 more rules for life you won't believe number 11 <laughs> the it's always the second to last one i like talking about how a city is obsessed because it fits very well with the kind of social vision of christianity which doesn't doesn't buy into this individualism thing i mean if you read Revelations, Jesus in the last judgment or what seems to me to be pretty much the last judgment or, or prefiguration of it is talking to cities and yeah. churches. He's not so much talking to individuals, although presumably they're in there. <laughs> but I think having a uh, understanding of a particular city, having a, a vice yep. is something which kind of already strikes against the modern notion of individualism, you know, which is like, wow, how could you say that about a group? Well, people say that kind of about friend groups, like you, mm. you are whom you hang out with. But the idea of a city is that it's much, it, it gets to the point where your mores aren't defined just by the people you're hanging out with, but those who, whom you're not <laughs> hanging out with. Wow. Yeah. For example, I don't eat food the way that you eat food, but I do eat food in the way that kind of the average American eats food. Do you know why I eat so much food? Because you work in the garden a lot, no, getting your tan. It's not even that. It's that when I, the only way I can write is if I'm really hungry. It's this weird thing. So sometimes people ask me, like, for writer's advice. It happens very rarely. But that's what I tell them. Try not eating. See if it works. But then the problem is you hit this time of day and your friend's like, let's do a podcast. And you're like, okay, well, I got to eat. <laughs> um, try that out, everyone, and let us know how it Fueled goes. Fueled by starvation. Yep. Uh, what were you even talking about? Six ways oh. to know that your city is obsessed, yep. chronically obsessed, morbidly fascinated with money. Yep. Well, so actually he comes at it this way because he's in the conversation about what is, what is politics all about? Uh -huh. And his answer is virtue. And the reason why his answer is Heck virtue yeah. is because our 
ultimate end is heaven. Awesome. And virtue is a way that we clothe ourselves with Christ. And so as we as we do that, that's the way that we become saints. It's, it's the way that our what our entire cities are for, totally. that we all might become saints and that we might dwell eternally with with God. So that's super rad. Accumulate virtues, the only treasure that a moth can't get at. It's true. It's true. Moths get at a lot. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and we got a great bank manager up top. So mm-hmm. Christ won't lose the funds. The um, and, and so St. Thomas asks the question, what happens if virtue is not the end of politics? If that's not the point of politics? Uh, and he says, what happens if a city is obsessed with just living, just with, with life, or with health mm. instead? And he says that the, everything will be changed, that, uh, that slaves will live with their masters and that animals will live with people. Now, the slave thing might sound kind of strange, or servants, excuse me, servants and not slaves. And the servants one might sound a little bit strange, but I think what he's getting at there is is that it's a destruction of a hierarchy, mm. is that we'll start to think more in, in egalitarian terms. Mm-hmm. But the animal one is just kind of creepy because, like, you know, there's over a third of Americans today that think that uh, animals should have the same rights as people, which I don't really know what that means, but it's true. And no, that don't make that no sense. <laughs> But don't you think that and, with like and a, just like vets, you know how much we're gonna spend as Americans on vets this next year? No. <laughs> you want to take a, take a wild guess? I'm bad with numbers and large crowds. <laughs> There's nobody else here. A billion, a billion smackaroos. Fifty-two billion. Fifty-two. I mean, that sounds bad, but I don't know how much are we gonna spend on like scooters. Like, is it more or less? Can we I don't look know. that up? No, let's not look uh, okay, that up. Okay, point is, Aquinas <laughs> was on to something in that a society that values biological life as its value mm-hmm. is obviously going to, um, you know, because biological life exists more on a continuum. I don't like the yeah. servants masters bit because it just seems like, I don't know, something that would be hard to understand today Yeah. in any particular helpful way. The animals bit, I get. I mean, you have a, when you have biological life crowned, then there's nothing particularly special about the human person who's intellectual as well as biological. Yeah, yeah. I know we could talk about trying to place the the former comment in, in its historical place. And I think mm-hmm. that it would be illuminating, but it's not the point for today because then he goes on and asks, okay, what if virtue is not the end? And what if health's not the end? What if just accumulation of riches is the end? Mm-hmm. And he gives us six ways to identify or to say, well, he doesn't even give us these ways. He just says these things will happen. And he lists out six things. All right. So I was thinking we could go through Do it. those six things. So... And, and then we can also do the fun thing about figuring out whether or not these apply to our modern society. Okay. What's your guess? you think they're going to apply or not? I think they will. Otherwise, this would be a lame podcast. Okay. <laughs> Number one. He said, all things will be for sale. Mm. So. Well, that makes sense. If you, it, what you want is money. The only way you get money is by selling things. Therefore. Or printing things, it. Or printing it, yeah. Well, I think there's there's something to say about um, if virtue's your end, yeah. well, the pinnacle of all the virtues is what? It's charity, right? 
and if all of a sudden virtue and charity on top is not it's not the end there's something else that's going to mm-hmm. be the crowning motivation to your habits mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than love and and money would be gain would be that that way that thing and so if i think that it makes some some sense that he sees uh that there's needing there's going to be some need to replace the highest of all virtues but i think there's also just something more commonsensical of how he he saw this coming and that's that you only ask somebody or you only pay somebody to do something if you don't have confidence that you can ask them to do it for you mm-hmm. so if you're i think we've probably given this example a million times but if if you need to move a refrigerator you can either pay a moving company or you can ask your friends mm-hmm. and so money really does take the place for where love lacks now there's also the side of this too is that well what if most of the time when you really do need money it's trading with people you just don't know Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of hidden in all this as well in this idea that all things will be for sale is that you are just not going to know your neighbors as well as you otherwise would i think there's something something hidden in this you know and you know what i've always thought is that what's really cool about being christian um besides attaining heaven and avoiding the pains of hell is that there's things that money just can't buy and that's a beautiful thought. And many pop singers have sung about it, but they're all sellouts. So what do they know? But in fact, there's a sense of purpose in the world because all the money stuff will pass away for the Christian. It's not, it's not important in the end. Um, but that allows you to simply have things of value where there's not even a conceivable price or exchange for it. And m- most people experience this in their relationships of love mm-hmm. right but i think christianity allows you to expand those relationships of love to you know i would never trade a thriving city for money i would never trade the peace of a community for money i would never trade mm-hmm. the beauty of like a particular instance of beauty for money um you start to stake out these moments of resistance i think to everything being for sale but I'd also say that I think Aquinas is is sort of spooky, right? In, in not just in terms of like the what would result from widespread greed or desire for gain, but also in terms of a eerie description of private property, right? Where um, private property within liberalism becomes understood as just that which I can. Uh, mark off from the common, like mark mm-hmm. off from it being a good for everyone. Yeah. Declare my own in some way. And then by necessity, it also becomes an object of exchange. Yeah. yeah. You know, like the rise of capitalism was predicated on the creation of things for sale that were never seen as being for sale. Totally. Quite literally, land, uh, when we talk about uh, the enclosure of the commons as yeah. being something that began capitalism, it was common land used by everyone, governed by custom. How can you claim it for yourself when God created God it? God created Clearly it and, he's the owner. and there's a hundred yeah. of ugly peasants that use it and, and love it. And but even more beautiful peasants. Yeah. There are none of those. <laughs> I've seen the studies. <laughs> I've read them. Well, and it is kind of something, I mean, it is interesting. So there's there's two kind of modern examples. Okay. A point to prove that this, this exists today. One is the... Uh, NFT market, the non-fungible tokens. Oh my gosh! You know, I about know it. about this now. <laughs> I hate it. I hate knowing about it. Yeah, it's it's horrible. And you know what? I'm gonna sell that feeling of hate 
to the highest bidder. <laughs> Whoever wants it, we'll put it in the blockchain. <laughs> you ever find yourself just saying words knowing that they mean something to someone, even yeah. if they don't mean anything to you, but you're absolutely assured that it'll get across? Yeah. Uh, put it on the blockchain. Yeah, but how many, you know, how many hashes is that going to take to even be able to process that sale, man? So I don't know. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not even win. how hashes work. <laughs> you win. Sorry. Yeah. You win. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this no, is the but this is the weekend. this is the concept of you can literally sell non-existing items by creating a digital entry non, for yeah for non, them non-consumable. So so yeah. so think of a, a beautiful picture. Got it. You're like okay, you got one in mind. Yeah, it's my wife. Why would you even ask that? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so offensive. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm thinking. You could sell that picture. I would never. <laughs> all right, sorry. Yes, I could Think sell a different picture. picture. All right, yeah. all right, all right, all right. You could you could sell that, and yeah. somebody would value it. Yeah. And part of the reason why it's so, and if it, if it's you know, say it's a painting though, it's 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 precious because mm -hmm. it's the one and the only. Mm -hmm. uh, no, you could sell prints also, but those would be a little bit cheaper. Well, with a non fungible token, they're literally just images. They have to be some sort of image on it, the internet. Yep. And they have a particular place on a blockchain, an electronic database. But that doesn't mean that's the only place to procure that image. So, for instance, the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, uh, recently sold an image of his first tweet on uh, as an NFT. And somebody paid $2.9 million dollars. Uh, worth of a particular cryptocurrency for that three million dollars for an image that i can go on google images log like just type in first tweet by jack dorsey see a picture of it i could print it out i could frame it i can get it for free there has never in my lifetime been a more convincing argument for the existence of demons <laughs> than this yeah, we right. are like imagine the joke on us it's, it's like oh i bet i can get them to to actually spend <laughs> caloric energy selling <laughs> selling pictures that are that are just the modification of pixels on a screen repeatable at any instance but you know what i mean obviously i i jest but it's not actually that far off from most financial techniques which is which is what exactly. what's really being sold is our envy what's really being sold is like opportunity mm -hmm. what's really being sold is the ability to convince the other guy that you can sell it for more right you know so it's just saying like hey since we have a money economy we're all buying, printing, selling money itself. It's just another way of doing that, but providing some kind of meme gimmick on top of it. But the thing is, it already was working. We already just sell money as money and sell loans and sell debts and sell like... Yeah. That's, yeah. Everything is for sale. Everything's for sale. One last modern example of that. Have you heard of this new company called Nunu? No, no. <laughs> it is the strangest thing. You literally go online and say, you know, should I eat Chinese or Korean tonight? And people pay to vote on what you should do. So, oh man, I'm really, I'm really into like Mark's what? eating habit. Like when he breaks his writing fasts, you know, I really think any, you can pay $5 to vote that that's what you should do. This isn't true. And then you have to do it. This isn't a company. How's it? <laughs> it's what real is, life. What, yeah. Why would you ever do that? Uh, I think there's something kind of grossly um, 
sexual in, in it where you feel like you're dominating somebody else. I think that's why they're, they're the one giving you the options. Oh, I you mean, why would I ever sell my, you know, dinner choice? Is that your question? I guess I have questions all around. <laughs> okay. Well, I think, I think there's something about, you know, being in touch with the global web existence that people are now obsessed with. I think that the more that they can kind of translate living online is, is a thing for them. I think there is a kind of a, a dominating spirit, something pagan that comes up with it. But the most horrifying part of all this is that literally people are selling their wills. And so it does go completely against the idea of politics as having its end in virtue because you have to will the good for the good's own sake. And if, if you're only willing it because you're getting, you know, 30 bucks to, to will it, Okay. All right. Yeah. Then there's the, just something this weird is about too it. much. I mean, this is obviously okay, go well, but it's obviously too. demons. But like, <laughs> let's just like most people would never like this is a this is a minuscule portion of our friends and neighbors who are selling their wills, <laughs> it, right? Like new new is gonna be old old very quickly. I just declare it right now in the name of Jesus. I I cast that out. Okay, I like. I it. cast that out. May, yeah, but... may your stocks fall. <laughs> Die. But in but but to you, to go back to what does ail us is that we, we the the configurations for how we've set up our society are already in place for something like this to exist. Sure. The fact that we see the how our homes just as ours and no one else's, and that we or or our the money that we've earned is being something that I have earned and therefore I get to spend however I would like. Yeah. Really suggests that we do see everything for sale in terms of we have created these false boundaries right, right. In, in life. And we've taken a infinity money numbers yeah. um, when the only way for money to be efficacious is through the actual wealth of the world, which is finite. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you can't, at some point there has to be real goods. Mm-hmm. And so you can see why a love of money for its own sake has a sort of lustful consumptive quality to mm-hmm. it that it immediately has to take over everything because the things and stuff of this earth can can never be divided into enough discrete units to make up what money is mm. because money isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> but it's point number 2. Okay, so if your city is just selling everything, then selling space, greed takes over. Now, this one kind of sounds He bland. says that? Greed yeah. takes over? number two. Greed yeah, that takes sounds over. like another way of describing the well, It sounds really problem. bland, but I think there's a there's something profound behind it if we think about it for a second. And and it's... Profundity and Aquinas? No, really. Okay. Money is... We've said this. This goes back to, I think, our very first Good Money episode, that money's a placeholder. Right. But it's a non-revealing sign. It doesn't tell you what it is for. Right. That's when we have to put in our own ingenuity and just saying, yeah, it is just a placeholder for some real good right. of God's good creation. Name it. Yeah. I got to figure out. Yeah, I got to name it. Say which, you know, what is it? What is it for? But if if we're just, if, if the accumulation of riches is our end, then we will never really know what it is for. We'll always think that it's just for security or, or because this is what we should be doing. And it's never for the procurement of something real. And as a result, if we never have that understanding of what our placeholder is holding a place for, then we're going to always be threatened by greed. Totally. And the joke's on the greedy people. It's totally on the greedy people. Because the people that aren't greedy end up with things. 
and <laughs> happiness. Uh, not necessarily. Well, that's true. They're usually deprived and oppressed. But or the or the or they're just prodigals and they end up in pigsties. Well, that happens too, I suppose. Yeah. Well, here's what I have to say. There are many nuances one could give, <laughs> but podcasting isn't the place for nuances. <laughs> I say that the big problem with greed is that it is a real impoverished. You're impoverished because you have abstract power, um, but you fear more than anything the loss of that abstract power for the sake of an of activity for something actual, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that is a difficult and sad way to live. It is. There's, there's, there's nothing more to say about that. Well, except for this, St. <laughs> Thomas says that the way out of this is through liberality oh, totally. because liberality is about knowing how to use money well, Yeah, which is the exact opposite of greed where you don't know what money's for. Totally. And so part of the way that we just start to rehabituate ourselves out of this is by figuring out how to, how to spend money for re- actual things really well, instead of living in our abstractive fiction of I just must always accumulate not even always accumulate I just can't spend totally. and that's I think that just if, if t- fear takes over never get to live it's no fun does our society do this some people yeah this one's tough actually I, I, I think that I mean you asked the question I mean like obviously <laughs> how do I put it it's hard to say because our wealthy have accumulated most of the wealth and so while you can point to them and say, see, they have an apparently limitless drive for acquisition, mm-hmm. it's difficult to say whether everyone else does because most people don't have the capacity. Now, there's the famous Steinbeck quote, right? That uh, there are no poor in America, only temporary embar- temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Mm. And I think in my experience, it's a very true observation, right? That like people view themselves as just failed Jeff Bezos, like... So their poverty, even their socialism sometimes is just like an act by which they wish that they could get as much money as they could possibly get. They just don't happen to get it because of their lack of power or just fortune, you know? Yeah. So they haven't, they have no change of heart. Really, they are just a greedy person, just a greedy person frustrated in the ends of greed, mm-hmm. which I guess seems kind of worse, materially speaking, although there's probably more opportunities for conversion. Where you could like sit back and be like, you know what, this greed ain't get me anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't know if that's true of everyone, right? Because I, I've just met many people who just aren't greedy, who are content, yep. whose wealth is in children and places and like particular relations, um, and in the glory that comes with with living together in in Christian life. Maybe there, maybe I've got a shutters on or blinders on, but that seems like more people than. Certainly more people than billionaires. <laughs> They're outnumbered. That's true. I think that's certainly... Well, <laughs> we got them surrounded, boys. <laughs> just we, we just threw stats out, you know. <laughs> must be true. I think there's something also about this inside of Thomas's that we have to remember that it's in the context of, of a city that's mm. organized around accumulation yes. as its end. It's not just that people have set, the individuals have said you know, money is my end. Totally. But it's that this, the organization, the order of the city is, has that yeah. as its oh, end. And so, and so it doesn't really need to be the case that greed is so apparent That's in so a important. person's heart, but just that they do the things that a greedy person does. Right. Because the society is structured in a way that that's the easiest way to live. Exactly. Yeah. Freaking yeah, man. Yeah. And you know what? This happens all the time. You'll, you'll sort of talk about 
if you're trying to help to revitalize a city or to do any good work in town, I'm talking about our city, mm-hmm. um, often one of the problems you run into is that people have no mindset for what successful like city life revitalization looks like outside of economic growth. Yeah. So like you, you're, you want to, you want to do good. You want to alleviate suffering. You want your city to thrive in a vague sense. And that immediately gets shunted in the like, uh, like purely like pro business thing yeah. where it's just like, well, then I guess what we need is to, uh, let's see, make our buildings more available for corporations to fit us into their algorithm so that they'll open up a subway downtown. <laughs> then you're like, wait a minute, why the hell do we want a subway? Yeah. <laughs> and so what I try to do is when I talk with people like this, it's like, okay, so what I want is growth in happiness, right? So like the mark of a city that's revitalizing has got to be that everyone is becoming happier mm-hmm. who's within it. And this is actually, I mean, it sounds sort of trite, but it's a paradigm shift. It's like, growth itself doesn't necessarily mean happiness, right? Like if, you know, a company moved in, brought out all its workers from Texas and started producing like um, brass knuckles for hitting people with, there would be Mm. an increase in economic growth. Mm. But no one in the actual city would be happier. Just people from elsewhere are making more money. This is actually what happens with fracking. Sorry, I'm on a high horse now, Get it. but it's just really annoying because everyone like in, in the Rust Belt, everyone's like, okay, you know, we finished our last big industrial thing. Now it's fracking. We got to get fracking. That's going to get all the money going. And it's like, it always seems to be the case that all of the actual workers are coming from other places. They're bringing workers yeah. with them, usually from Texas. And it's nothing against yeah. Texas. It's just like the lie that's sold to the Rust Belt is that you're back to work because we found some new industrial production, but it's like, yeah, well, you're not back to work. Your economy is is back to work. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you get some kickbacks with like taxes and stuff, but you know, that just goes to the police and then. Yep. Anyway, it's well, not the point. But jump back to, to your <laughs> earlier point. Yes. I mean, I remember somebody saying, talking about revitalization in our town and saying, we really got to get like finance uh, industries here. Uh, because that's how Dallas did it. Right, they, were, right, right. they were going down. We got to get them get back up. But that's the mindset of like walking through our downtown, which probably has what three quarters of the buildings boarded up right now. No, half, half. On uh, maybe I'm just thinking of of on Fourth uh, Street on the on our kind of the main mm-hmm. strip, which I think is a majority. But uh, it's uh, that's just the the goal there is just to get it uh, get people inside the buildings. And obviously that's, that's no goal, no good goal. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think our, I would answer that our, our city, our cities as a whole are structured towards this. Yeah. We don't um, have, we, we often lack the imagination for what success looks like without yeah, just but acquisition. I, but I agree with you. I don't think this is the, the main disposition of, of somebody. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. I, and in particular, if we were to say this is the case, then I would just be citing well, I mean, it's not a reason not to do it, but but that is then we would just be put in the classic capitalist camp, where where the average cap, we're not the 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 capitalist theorists were all statists. They all thought that people really were in this war of all against all, were vicious, were greeting, and therefore you needed the state to come in to ensure that the com- compet- or that that the that the rivalry that the war turned into free market competition. Mm-hmm. Um, this is spelled out by pretty much every single modern theorist of, of capitalism. But um, but that's not the conclusion at all that 
that the Catholic Church comes to, that people cannot descend so far into depravity that we just actually become beasts. Um, so, anyways. Yeah. No, I think we're there all right. There it is. We're all right. Number three, if your city as a whole has uh, the accumulation of riches as its end, then the public good will be despised and everybody will be after their own private profit. He actually said that. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, we're is that well I'll describe a little bit. The public the public good. So so the public good. The public goods um here in Aquinas is used interchangeably with the common good. Uh, but the common good in a particular way. Should I break it down? I'm gonna break it down. You stop me if I'm breaking it out too much. There are really three ways that the common good are used in St. Thomas. The first is uh, what we might call a predicative common good. It's so nerdy. Can we call it something else? Uh, no. No. Okay. <laughs> and this is a good that just everybody has. So say that um, everybody is healthy in your society. Well, we can call that a common good. Not so much because... Uh, because there's something generally that, uh, <laughs> no, let me put that positively. We can only say that it's a common good because it's literally common. Everybody has it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's the same to say like our like patience is a really good uh, common good for a society to have. But that's only ever actualized in so far as each individual is patient. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, this is a way of this predicative label is is what we use when we're trying to uh, categorize species we can we can put this uh, each individual critter in the same species because they all have this attribute in common so that's predicative common good and that's not the way that he's using the term here um he uses the term public good which in the uh, de regno where we're taking all this from uh, is interchangeable with the causal common good. Now, the causal common good is you can think of an army. And an army has a certain structure, an arrangement, a hierarchy to it that gives people their own individual direction. You, the, without an order, you really don't have an army at all. I mean, you just kind of have a blob of people. But if you do have this order, it's not only then going to prove to be a, a strong force as a whole, but it's also going to be informative for each person there. Right, right. So there's there's an order that's a good for all that's greater than any one individual, but it also only is uh, manifested, its goodness is only manifested in the lives of each individual too. Mm -hmm. So St. Thomas also talks about a family in the same way, this family order um, of, of uh, in this causal common good way. Now, there's a third way that you can understand the common good. And that's actually always in the plural. It's common goods. So you might say that is like a public piping uh, money um, because those are goods that not each individual owns, that they're, they're collective around, around the town. But anyways, in this case, he uses the term public good, which is equivalent. I looked up every case of this uh, with, with the causal common good. And, uh, and that is what is going to be sacrificed when everybody's trying to accumulate mm. their own good, um, which is then privatized. So, okay, what do you make of that? Well, I think I need an example of this happening in a society. So when a public good is, when no one cares about the public good, they all pursue their private gain. Yeah. Just give me an example. 
So what comes to mind first is, I th or like how how could he come to this this idea? And I I think it's this, is that if if you're always putting your money to work, then you're never going to spend it on things that won't increase, augment your wealth. Sure. So in other words, I think that we, just the fact that we've seen a huge rapid decline in public arts in the life of leisure, of plays, festivals, things where you're just blowing your money, I think that's partly due to the fact that people do not care about building up a culture that does give their cities an order, but rather are spending their money on making more mm. money. Oh, yeah, or or where they do, it's because they have arranged some system by which, through a nonprofit, a grant foundation, the uh, giving of money to those kinds of expenditures actually gets them money through tax write-offs in the end. Yeah, that's a great point. So I, I think it's not just that you see a decline in these things. You, you also see the corporatization of their production. Yes. Because it's like the only... The only people willing to make an expense um, are still working within their self-interest. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of like, yeah, you get a lot of lame, lame art, lame festivals. Yeah, and then and then nobody is really able to feel like they contributed to it. Um, not you know, if you have a festival, like we have, we have the first Friday's festival coming up. Now you actually tomorrow. You created this thing, so you can actually... Like, many created this. Many created this. It was your brainchild, Yeah, right? myself and Therese, uh, Therese then Nelson. Yeah. And, she rocks. You know, and so th though I, I don't have a formative part in, in this, just being able to go and support in the you little way that I can, yeah. you know, you're like, wow, this is something that we all do together. We do like, it together, this yeah. Is, this is awesome. And it does. I mean, it totally transforms the way that we, uh, you know, think and interact and talk in our city. I mean, right. it is part of the causal common mm -hmm. good. It's part of the public good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but if there was just some, like the city put it on, where whoever the city is, then then I wouldn't really feel a connection to it. Right. And if know? it was obviously just done for the profit, of, like we don't, we don't make anything on it. Um, we beg other people it, literally in the city to be able to have the money we need to do things like the festival. And that literally demands participation, but it also means that when you come, it's not a product in the sense of it's not like, okay, they're selling this. Yep. And if I, you know, if it, it's worth it insofar as this sort of exchange is a good exchange, yep. it's like, no, it's, it's something that we're either all doing because we all like it or, or we won't do. Yep. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I think, I think that you do see a lack of care, like a lack of care for the public good within societies, but less a lack of care. Cause I really think everyone wants to live in community. Everyone mm -hmm. wants thriving mm -hmm. cities. Everyone knows. I mean, you gotta know that like, yeah, you can build your really sweet in home theater and have your pool. But at the end of the day, you don't want to stay in your house, right? Like, doesn't matter how cool your house is like you you want uh, you want to be a city person like yeah. not not necessarily like living in the city but you want a community of others in which to have your life recognized and to recognize the life of others i mean really you want to be in the church but that it's not so much that people despise that i think i mean sure there's probably some straight up hoarders sort of scrooges in the world um i have met at least one but 
I think a lot of it's just people are confused about how to get it because they're educated to think that the only way you get community is extrinsically, right? So, you know, the kind of liberal narrative of, of us is that we start as individuals and then because it, we're, we, we perceive a benefit to coming together in community, we, we do so, right? So we form cities together mm -hmm. for protection mm -hmm. against, you know, evils. You know, we even, I think Rousseau says, you know, even marriages are sort of extrinsically formed by individuals mm -hmm. for the sake of reproduction. And then they dissolve once that, mm -hmm. once that happens. So this is, this is like in our psyche, I think very deep, yeah. deeply. So whenever we want to achieve this, this sort of nebulous, but, but enticing good of community, the only avenues our brains sort of start to trickle down is like, okay, how do I motivate the individuals you know, as individuals to do something communally. Right. And then yeah. that's when you always start thinking about, about profit, about business. So it's like, well, we got to get, you know, a, a business to, you know, put on some kind of event or we should get a restaurant in town that can be profitable here. And so then, and it's like, it's not that these things can't be means to it, but, but what's missed is that, um, it is a good in itself. Community is a good in itself. It's not just the accumulated good of, of little individuals that if they're all happy, well, then we have this thing called community. That's not true at all. Actual communal happiness is a unique experience that can't be dissolved into a bunch of individual happiness. It's like, mm -hmm. and anyone who's been to a really good party feels this, right? Like they are alive with the spirit of the whole. It's awesome. But I think because we feel like scared of that, of of that power that's within us to celebrate existence in a community, mm -hmm. we, we immediately, yeah, start thinking about, start thinking about it as just individual needs satisfaction or something. I mean, use language of therapy and talk about community as a need that fulfills the individual, <laughs> as if the individual is not the thing that fulfills community. Yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> anyway, sorry. These tend to end in rants, I think. <laughs> Well, and it's kind of more impressive that Thomas just kind of named these things without expanding on Well, it. he was the pure of heart, right? He so he didn't have this sort of like itchy need to like prove anything. He was just like, this is the way it be. Well, good thing we could take over. <laughs> Don't worry, Aquinas. We're anxious and nervous about the good society. Yeah. we don't. Have, he had a confidence in heaven, I think. So I think, you know, when you have someone that, I mean, he's literally a saint sticking his head in the tabernacle to worship God. He's probably not sitting there like panicking over his, the worldly societies. He can describe it at some distance and right. say, but yeah. well, all things will be redeemed in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I have to like scream that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth thing. Fourth thing. If a city has the accumulated accumulation of riches as its end, then all people will live in the same city. Isn't that weird? It's kind of like, wait, 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 what do you mean by that? The city, okay. So, okay, so I actually had to go through and figure this one out because I was like, wait, that kind of sounds like he means that he's like predicting globalization. Oh. Well, it's actually a citation from Aristotle's politics in which Aristotle predicts globalization. So it pretty much is. <laughs> <laughs> and and within the Aristotle's uh, section on this, he, he's particularly talking about uh, trading with other cities that if 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 everyone's goal is the accumulation of riches then you're going to start to have the same laws you're going to have the same uh uh same same ways of doing to business, facilitate say, exchange to, to better facilitate exchange easier mm -hmm. exchange so that 
making money might become easier. And so Boom. as a result, we're all going to live in the same in city. In one global city, man. That's so cool. It is cool. It's also just I, extremely... You know what I like about the world is being able to drive for thousands of miles and then eat the same burger. <laughs> That's <laughs> the real reason I go to England because they have the same burgers over there. And they're yes, awesome. the KFC yeah. in Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> There's an inordinate appreciation of KFC in England. I don't get why. I have no idea. Is it yeah. better there? I've never tried it over there. I that's a great regret of mine. Now that I'm permanently here, it's really sad. I'm just imagining a guy. You're who in has, England. Ship me some KFC. I, I, I imagine. I imagine a guy who has like a pilgrimage where he goes as far as he can to like a Starbucks. Like who like there is a you know the, a, the a burger thing. joint called Whataburger. Yeah, in the south. There was a there was a family that did they went to every single one of wow. the Whataburger locations. Anyways, what are we talking about? <laughs> oh, St. Thomas living in the same in the same city. Yeah, yeah, I mean this one this one's really interesting because it's it's it immediately makes us uh, take a look at the medieval assumptions about that. It yeah. says that if everything's the same, then nowhere is actually being able to live out in a personal way yeah and if money um if money is the goal and money is by definition a a unifying thing right because it unifies two people within an exchange mm -hmm. um then every then it's directly opposed to culture understood as um difference right it's it's literally sameness versus difference kind of on the playing field um and what i mean by that is that if you look at custom and law, I would say are two things that stand out as like, well, what makes a people a particular people mm -hmm. as opposed to just, you know, a suburb of a right. city. Right. And you say, well, if their customs are different and their laws are different, right, then they are a different people in mm -hmm. some way. And you could talk about other things like the spices they use in their food, but you're just talking about custom, mm -hmm. you know, you're just, you're just you know, reducing things to, to tasty dishes, which is unfortunately what we tend to do when we talk about globalization. Um, but custom and law being different is an obstacle to a financial class that just wants to make money mm -hmm. as its own end. You, you can imagine this in our discussion concerning the just price. If prices vary according to custom, then you have a difficulty in, in trading, right? right? Because you have to take into account the particular custom of pricing if sale like if there's actually a different custom by which things are bought and sold then you can't do it from a distance you can't you you, you have to enter into the particular society figure out the particular custom figure out the particular laws obey the laws follow the customs in order to make the exchange happen right um so it makes sense that as you see a rise of a sort of global financial elite you also see a rise of global liberalism, really. I mean, a, mm -hmm. a destruction of um, diverse languages, diverse customs, um, diverse laws, and a kind of unifying of the globe yep. in some ways. I mean, this is this is obvious stuff. The question is more like, how do we get out of it than whether it's here? But yeah. you know what might be helpful? Hmm. This is a helpful analogy that I've been thinking about because I'm writing about it today. So it wow. might also show up in an essay. A lot of the pursuit of money, I think, is really based on fear. 
Oh, yeah. You know, like you can talk about greed as this sort of abstract desire for gain, but when you really poke at it, like why do you abstractly desire gain? What you tend to get to is what you said, security, right? The desire is not just like, I like big numbers better than medium numbers. It's like, no, the world's scary. It's full of death, disease, disaster, and, and all sorts of um, undesirable things in between. And money can serve as a store, a stockpile against that. You know, Christ discusses stockpiling in terms of the amassing of, of grain and barns, but the idea is the same, right? You, um, you make an amassment because you're trying to secure a future that you can't possibly secure. Mm -hmm. Jesus says this is stupid because you're going to die anyways, no matter how big your barn is. Yep. Um, First mark with a C. That's right. Two eight. Two yeah. eight. And yeah. he also says that there is no way that you're ever going to be able to get around this by replacing your blood with young people's blood. So yep. that's important, I think, to the to the billionaire class of today. But that's not why I started this. <laughs> oh, right. But fear then actually has this quality of what Aquinas calls contraction. So when he describes fear, he describes it as a kind of gathering in. He says the reason that your, your fingers get cold and your limbs go numb is because your vital spirits, the heat of the body itself, is all amassing and gathering at a single point of safety. It's literally an anti-distributive feeling. If you think of life as being a distributed throughout the body, you kind of feel it everywhere. But now you're really scared. It's like, ooh, goes in. And I actually think this is like totally true. I mean, I don't know mm. if I would describe it as the movement of vital spirits, but that's because I don't know anything about the body and what medievals meant when they talked about anatomy yeah, or anything like that. It's vital, it's not vital. Yeah. So many spirits. <sighs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a way in which when you see uh, the accumulation of wealth, for its own sake and the the kind of gathering in of a diversity into a uniformity you're not just seeing money you know kind of doing something abstractly you're actually seeing fear play out on a social level mm. so as the human body in fear tends to reduce its sort of vital diversity into a center and this is how Aquinas describes it so a society once you gather in the resources once you actually start when your goal becomes wealth accumulation, right? It by definition means it's not wealth distribution and it's wealth distribution that to some extent produces diversity in a society mm -hmm. because if only a very few people have all of the wealth, then obviously the culture itself is going to take after the image of those few people rather than, you know, a, a greater distribution of wealth among people. I yeah. mean, because, in to some respect, some kind of wealth is what helps to make culture and make custom and make law and all this stuff. So I think that there's a way in which money's the, the misuse of money is just fear happening on a social level. We're just right. watching the social body contract into itself. Yeah. When you said, so what do, how do we get out of this? This isn't really tough because, I mean, you could talk about finding McDonald's in, in Norway or whatever, but just the mere fact that our, like one city in the U.S. is pretty much indistinguishable when you're leaving it to entering the next. I mean, you cannot tell when you're leaving one city and, and, and entering the next one other than like a little sign on the side of the road. Yeah. And that's it. Everything just really flows together. And versus like you look at old villages in England where it's 
ton of buildings clumped together, tons of green space. And then you drive down the road, you know, 10, 20 miles and you get another little clump. And, and we, because our cities in the U.S. are set up the way that they are, it makes actually distinguishing our towns pretty tough from one another. And I, don't, I didn't really know how to get around that other than moving to the Rust Belt where there were small and more distinguishable towns. Yeah, although, you know, I would hardly be the first to pretend that the towns of the Rust Belt are not simply involved in envious business imitation of other places, I, I which does agree. create a uniformity of look. I mean, anyone who's driven the American countryside can yeah. tell you it's not um, I think the only experience of diversity <laughs> and... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no kidding at all. I think the the thing that makes Soonville feel like it's cut off a little bit from the rest is the fact that we actually have the Ohio River. There's like sure. a real no. geographical Well, change. no, and, and don't yeah. get me wrong. I think there's, yeah. I, I just, maybe I'm an optimist here. But I think, okay, look, you can screw up the stores. And yeah, every city has an off-ramp with the gas station and blah, blah, blah. But people are really different. And custom doesn't die. Yeah. It's so, you can't kill that in people unless you really, really try. And then you're going to hell, so don't do it. <laughs> custom, the particularization of a people. I mean, even when people are degraded and oppressed, in that they become particularized mm. i mean like you think about i don't know i i just think that there's even like you know in our particular slice of the world we really suffer a lot of depravity the opioid crisis but there are ways of speaking and thinking about that and ways of grieving and ways of um that that just inevitably are particularized because people are particular because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. everyone's an ex nihilo creation of, of god so I don't think, that, I mean, so there's a reason to sort of be grouchy of the complete um, sort of leveling effect of the desire for gain that, yeah, every, everywhere does sort of start to, in a certain respect, become the same city, but that in a certain respect is important because it's insofar as people are actually involved in trade, mm -hmm. the storefronts, the businesses, a lot of the buildings, a lot of the way the land is cut off and, and structured. Um but I think the way out of that is to take what is particular and the customs that have not been destroyed and to just obscenely valorize them, make them into festivals, find mm. the differences and celebrate them mm. in, a, mm. in, a, in a real way. Um, and then try not to sell out to the man because what tends to happen is once you have something unique and you're proud of the moment that it, that it like comes up from the ground, people that want to just capitalize on it, make it into a product and then it becomes homogenous again. It's yeah. really sad. I mean, this is a yeah. huge problem, right? Like you're trying to improve a city, right? But if you get to a certain point of improvement, then your city is now profitable, right? For others yeah, who don't particularly care about the customs, right? They just want a repetition for more profit. So, I mean, I'm actually suggesting that when you work to have your city not be so obsessed with money. You also do it in such a way that you don't look profitable. <laughs> um, you kind of hide from that homogenizing impulse um, that the merchants of this world have, yep. you know, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that means breaking your windows, you know, sort of ritualistically mm. and then taking pictures and saying, Hey, look, this town is. That's interesting. Rubbish. I wouldn't necessarily recommend people jump right into that idea but yeah something along those lines I like. all right all right well okay that's enough on globalization 
number five, he says that good faith will be destroyed in the way of trickery opened. I like how he put that. So the way of trickery opening sounds like a roller coaster ride, <laughs> like like opening up for the first time. <laughs> Have you got on the way of trickery yet? <laughs> it's finally open. Sorry, it's stupid. Well, yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> I found it funny anyway. Uh, good faith, obviously, like if you're not going to put love first, put virtue first, then you're going to put accumulation first. But I think this is kind of the. Uh, I think this is this is the real thing is that if you're not if your first goal is not to have friends which is which is really where virtue leads you uh, virtues make you more relational in the Christian tradition uh, as the Christian tradition understands it so that makes you set up to have friends divine friends friends with you know that we call who are or friends of God we call saints you know mm -hmm. so if you're not looking to become a friend and to have good friends then then you're not going to really care about being good to others as your first priority. True, yeah. Uh, and so maybe the, the kind of flip it around and say, and put it like this might help a little bit, that if you are putting business before friends, then you're not going to have any friends in business. Sure. I think that's the truism that, that he knew. And yeah, and, the, here. and what becomes friendship or what, replaces it within uh, within greed it are those um comfortable relationships of mutual gain yeah and, and i think that's important because a lot of times there's this like distraction because we think that the only greedy person the only th image that we can come up with is like again like scrooge so like like there are no people in his life. Everyone hates him. He hates everyone. And he's just like clutching his gold coins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do think in a way that's a real image of the soul. But yeah. I think that can be distracting if we expect that of mm. social life. Actually, what it looks like is just casual use of people. So it's not that you're not friendly. Everyone is friendly. It's not that you're not nice. Literally everyone's nice. That's what it means to be normal is for people to look at you and say, oh, well, I guess he's nice. And so people are nice and and open to conversations and have fun hobbies like they 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 play racquetball or whatever mm -hmm. but the point is that all of those relations and all of that niceness and friendliness and normalness and politeness are all held in suspense because it's only insofar as they serve gain that they're there mm -hmm. you know one of the things about living in a post-christian society is you still have to act at least enough like a christian in order to gain anything right like if i show up at the boardroom with a gun and i'm like we're doing things my way because i'm the freaking chief right it well that does sound effective but it probably wouldn't be effective <laughs> in the long run right because there's like we still enforce justice and like good behavior and if you're just an impolite brute then people get mad at you and you don't gain but it's no virtue to say like, oh, like, like, yeah, he's <laughs> if if the reason why you aren't brutish and aren't just seizing is because, you know, you can't in order to really get goods that you have to be a good communicator in business and all that stuff. It's like you are you're the, you're the same as the guy with the gun. It's just that since you know guns aren't effective, you're using other weapons. But mm. the, the motivation is still, let's get what I can get. Yep. Yeah. And so I think we enjoy these like relationships of casual use because we still live in a society where you need a modicum of, and not even a modicum, you need a lot of politeness and friendship and, 
and, you know, a sense of being able to like do things together as a community. I mean, you think about the fact that like no business or company is going to thrive unless the guy at least pretends that you're all part of an exciting mission that's going to like make the world a better place, mm-hmm. right? You have to pretend that because if you say, okay, we're in it for me making profits and you making wages, let's go. Uh, it's just not going to motivate. Yeah. Right. It's not going to motivate, but it's also not going to lead beyond a relationship in the boardroom. Sure. That's another side to it. I mean, something, and there is something. Right. You can't, like, you can't call, you can't call the other guy when you're sick. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and some folks, you know, really say like, you shouldn't do business with your friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard that a lot. I heard that a lot growing up. I mean, I heard that all the time. You know, don't, don't, you know, don't let money become, get in between you and friends, which also means that you can't really, like, you should really question whether or not they get involved in business with, with them. Right. And I think there's there's something to that insofar as um, friendship is is ever self giving. Uh, with 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 money, you do have to break things up and and cut up people's earnings, which is totally as we've talked so many times about inorganic. It's unnatural. It doesn't fit with reality. And so all of a sudden, you're trying to bring in something unnatural into a you know into a friendship. Sure. Uh, but that the whole point of, of doing business at all is taking care of the needs of your family and your friends. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's two different value sets that are, they're going on at play. And I think this is like what you're pointing out is, uh, is, is really the core of it. It's like, are, is the interactions here to aid friendship or, or to aid gain? And it's also just strange to think about with, if I figure out that somebody's only hanging out with me because to get something out of I'm going to say, you know, you know, I don't really want to hang out with you anymore. Sure, You're yeah. kind of creepy, actually. Sure, right. And so what I'm trying to say is that our society is full of creeps. <laughs> or or tri- tricky people. Yeah, <laughs> and tricky people. Well, I mean, I'm wondering, uh, so the question is, of course, whether our, the city the city's like is that obsessed. Not, so yeah. I can see this on a, on a social level, the level, of the, the level of the city itself. What is it like to um exchange friendship for trickery um and i think in some ways it's sort of everything that we've talked about Mm. because you have when virtue isn't the goal when friendship isn't the goal um and everyone's after their private gain then all of those goods become just means of tricking um people into doing something that does produce private gain right so it's this goes back to what I was just saying that you have to have at least some semblance of the good mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in order to motivate people to do the things that create the gain. <laughs> um, so it's not like you ever, evil is always a privation, right? Like you need the good in order to make any kind of viciousness work. Um, but that's kind of what trickery means, right? It means holding up a good, but then it's, it's not really there. Right. Yep. And so I think having those experiences, which do characterize a lot of our society in which um, in which you're pursuing actual goods, but you're dealing with people that only pursue them with you insofar as they're continuing to gain. Right, yeah. You know, I find this all the time with yeah. more like bureaucratic institutions where it's like you have this problem, you have this need, you're... Um, license is suspended. No one tells you why. <laughs> and, um, and you find that people are, are 
they can hear your human plight, but it is only insofar as it's part of their job orientated towards a certain amount of gain that you're actually, you know, taken under the wing, which is. Yeah. Or yeah, they only follow you in so far as they're getting paid $15 an hour to do so, you know, something of that. There sort. was um, yeah. a particular institution that name the name. I won't name, name, the, name the name, but they really wanted whoever they were to give um, vaccines and they were they were pumped about this and so they were talking um about um coming to one of our festivals and, and doing it and i was like well okay like our festival starts at six and they were like oh well we're off the clock so, <laughs> like, sorry i mean <laughs> well but it's just it was fascinating to me because it's like okay so this is this is an institution that literally is like we want to save lives yeah like we want to free people from the plague and we want to show up and do it and then if it's not on the clock it's it's like you know and i get it like why work off the clock that's sort of how destruction is it's just funny that it's just obvious when you find a people that are really motivated by gain and other things just serve as like the i know well i remember when i, I mean I, yeah this will be controversial but i'm gonna go for it there were um 15 people in oxford which has a population of 150,000 or so uh, that had COVID, so it was pretty much a non-issue, and yet we were totally 100% locked down. Well, not 100%. We were allowed to have one other, see somebody from one other household. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, that just feels disingenuous to me. You know that there is big pharma involved. That there is like money to be made, and and, and there's a potential that hadn't been uh, reached in the accumulation. And so I yeah I think this this trickery really does. <laughs> We're sneaking in COVID sneaking complaints. In. I'm but Look I'm here. Us. I'm in the land of the free again. I'm happy. All right, last one. Oh, that's oh. right. Sorry, I forgot we we're doing this. Virtue. I can crumple this up now that we've gone through this. Uh, virtue, the they're the the prize of virtue, which is honor. Yeah. Is uh will no longer be given to the virtuous but rather to the rich. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And therefore virtue itself will be destroyed. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, first of all, just conceptually, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> if the goal of your society is money. Then the people that attain the goal are your heroes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Whereas if the goal is virtue, then the virtuous people are the heroes. Yeah. And you find, you find quite a number of these, uh, you know, magazines are both filled with Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, as well as, you know, the, person that's run off to Africa and created a new foundation and such. Of course, there's probably some things to be said about foundations. Yeah, but that could also be Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the magazines are about Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah, I think that in this, you do see something in our society, but it is tempered. I mean, again, it's a complicated world because we are all a church um, that is we're working really hard to not be one, (laughs) but we still are. And so we value not just power, but virtue. Mm -hmm. And so we spend a lot of our time, our idolization of the rich is ambiguous, I think, because I think we might be impressed by them or we'll run stupid articles about like, here's why he's so highly effective and then give his like habits. Cause we kind of want to be him cause we want to be rich. Yeah. But actual fawning adulation, like actual, like you get honor 
for your success, I think is actually extremely rare. And when it occurs, it's usually in like just circles of other finance people that are. I think that's true. Yeah. 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 The, everybody who hopes to be an entrepreneur really looks up to those who succeeded in that. And I, th I think there's like genuine um, like praise, you know, for, for the in, in the hearts of those people, for those who had achieved sure. it. Agree the, the kind of the finance guys as well, but if you're, um, but if you just want to kind of live your life and be good to your family and stuff like that, I don't really think that you look up the Jeff Bezos at all. You might be really impressed with the techniques that he used, find those fascinating, uh, and how he created like an empire of sorts, but it's it, you don't really want to, uh, you don't really praise him. I wouldn't say you honor him in Aquinas' sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is hopeful, so. and I, but I do think we honor virtue. Um, well, maybe, but less publicly. Yeah, and I, I, I actually don't know how he uses the term honor. So okay. that could be. So if it is in a sense where there is like a genuine appreciation and fraternal love and gratitude for that person, uh, that's one thing. If it's another, where it's like when I think of of a saint, I mean John Paul II, kind of the first that I, I really felt this way about was like. The more that I got to know him, the more that I really wanted to love whom he loved. Mm. You know, the more that I wanted to have a, a more intimate relationship with Christ, to to know what the church was, to know her truths, um, to live in them, and uh, and so in, in a particular sense, I did want to become John Paul II. Like he inspired me to do the things that he did uh, in in certain ways. But uh, if we apply that to Bezos, it doesn't necessarily have to come along or like somebody who's young entrepreneurial doesn't necessarily mean that they want to uh, be him or like him in any personal way or feel gratitude towards him. Like, oh, thank God for Amazon. But it is that desire, as he said, to, to be, to want to be him in a certain way. But because it's, it's an evil desire or an evil type of honoring, it doesn't have a real desire to unite with that sure, person sure. so if i mean saint thomas talks about the two uh types of friends or two aspects of friendship is that you will the others good and you want to unite with them so uh, i mean this doesn't this both factors have to apply like if there's uh you know somebody that you want to sleepless sleep with you you crave the unity but not their good sure um, oh if you're unmarried and not married <laughs> to that person I guess all that has I, to be I said. Get it. Yeah, I get there you it. go. You I got it. it. You got it. Yeah. Uh, but then on the other side, like you might wish somebody's good, mm -hmm. but actually not care really about having like an active relationship with them, uniting with them in, in any way. Uh, you know, a beggar on the street you might pass and say, you know, I wish you well, but then there's there's no life together that, sure. that happens. So, but both of those things, the unity and the wishing of the other's good has to be there for friendship. And you might... Um, you know, that just that just doesn't apply within a system in which uh, you might honor somebody because they've achieved what you wanted to achieve, but there's um, there, there's no desire for the unity of with that person. Yeah, and it's difficult because the bestowing of honors is usually um, a civic act, right? But since cities are just sort of corporations hmm. these days, they tend to bestow <laughs> honors on people that they think are increasing their tax base. You know what I mean? Like once you're running everything without any sense of a genuine 
belonging together that's a good quite apart from the money you're making mm -hmm. and and your own sort of self-preservation um then you end up with an adulation i think cities end up with an adulation of the wealthy still mm -hmm. um but it's described as it's this sort of weird very kitschy uh love of like businessmen as being like somehow the only thing that your community is really made up of yeah i think you see this a lot in cities. Yeah. yeah right yeah um the actual adulation of virtue right to say here's a person who is perfect in long suffering here is a man who is chaste incredibly chaste and to bestow upon him honors right is almost unimaginable in our society hmm. like what that would look like makes no sense which is lucky for the virtuous because they probably don't care <laughs> yeah <laughs> being virtuous but it also means that we don't even consider virtue as the primary imitation i mean if you just sort of grow up in an average american city and you're sort of vaguely aware of the kinds of people that get honor you're gonna become a businessman mm -hmm. i would say go. certainly not a saint yeah so in that sense i do think it's a negative it's on the scorecard of uh our cities uh whether they're obsessed with money or not i would say i certainly don't see the civic honoring of the virtuous yeah. i definitely see the civic honoring of the wealthy yeah exceptional cases firemen yeah, but I even I haven't heard that much about firemen recently. Firemen are like, the we solution to yeah. everything wrong with our society. <laughs> yeah, they they, they I mean there were it's a an lot institution of, of virtue, only scantily, scantily connected with accumulation, gain, wealth, money. Literally, the word volunteer is emblazoned over almost every fire station in America. And whatever that means is almost irrelevant to its sort of advertising potential that volunteering is good, right? <laughs> Giving. And they they are an actual like political entity in some ways, right? Mm. They have an office. Mm. They're an institution. And yet, and yet despite this, they are so clearly orientated towards the common good. They literally put out our fires that they don't they they're not like the way that the libertarians tend to view like political institution as always this kind of like bad thing that we really need like more freedom no one would say we need more freedom from firefighters and such <laughs> <laughs> anyway i just think that i just think that there's real radical potential in radicalizing firefighters to be our main image of um civic unity so a yeah. city hmm. is most most properly and first and foremost it's firefighting it's firefighters and then everything else kind of comes out from that yeah wow so anyways so we should light up our towns <laughs> to, you know encourage this to me. yeah no, don't, don't do that <laughs> secretly uh, no maybe a better idea so this is sad actually for our cities because i think we went six for six saying that they're all no, no they're know. a caveat well okay so yes but there are a lot of caveats in there yeah. about how you know one of the things is we barely even really live at a civic level or, or rather, we kind of live in cities, but we don't acknowledge that this is a genuine form of existence. Mm. And where a lot of the life and virtue is happening is in sort of large connections of families. Yeah. Um, who, Net networks almost yeah. rather than cities. I think right. That's... Like there are very few people that in their virtues, in their loves, in their finally getting over gain and greed and all of that just nonsense waste of energy 
where you see that and where they actually celebrate and live it is not in such a way that one of those people could stand up and say, I represent Chicago or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, they can't, they don't, they don't, they haven't taken that kind of political power. I mean, I think they should. Um, I think that, but I think that involves a movement into those offices from virtuous networks of friends. Where else do people take political power except for from some network of friendship and family that is either producing virtuous or vicious people, mm -hmm. right? This is sort of Andrew Jones' sort of larger vision of subsidiarity in a distributed economy. Um, that all of this official stuff rests in its actual power on friendship. And so if virtuous friendships and virtuous networks of friends who are actually orientated towards the peace and common good mm. are to take office, it's really just them gaining some kind of de facto power that they can use for the good. Um, why are we saying this? Oh, because... <laughs> It's not that I don't think we have the potential to be cities orientated towards virtue in our politics. I don't think there's anything about our cities that that couldn't be. I mean, there's some like constitutional arrangements that you could sort of try and fix. But really, it's just a matter of taking the offices and having good people in the offices. So that's that's the end. To that's, live as a city. That's how... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think when a lot of what we've been talking about over the course of these these videos have been like, what can we do to become saints in and through the use of our money? And this one is tougher because it really is a collective. Yeah, you know, totally. There's it. It does take a collective vision of a true understanding of the common good, uh, welcoming others into it so that there could be a real reorientation away from what we have done and what we can do. So I don't really have too many practical things to, to offer folks. But, but anything a city could do yep. once you take power within mm -hmm. that city and are able to act in its name, which mm -hmm. isn't necessarily just through offices. You can just do it by having enough friends within yeah. a city. Yeah. I mean, anyone who knows anything knows this. Uh, <laughs> Once you do that, then then anything that values virtue over money in a public and recognizable way mm -hmm. is the thing to do. I mean, one thing that you could do very simply is develop your own currency. And I don't mean this in some like huge life-changing way. I mean, just think of it as like a city gift card almost that is tradable. <laughs> yeah. So Bristol has done this in the UK. I know. Yeah. I think... Um that crazy city up in Syracuse, New York. I think cool. they did it too. A couple of people did it during COVID. Yeah, yeah. But the, the idea isn't that obviously you're not getting beyond money by developing your own currency, but the point is that you create a currency that's limited in where it can be spent, mm -hmm. right? So right there and then you have a certain, a certain check, as it were, on this kind of unlimited everyone in one city, everyone uh, accumulating gain that has no end kind of vision of the city's goal and you say no 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 our goal is happiness right so money should be such that it actually contributes to our happiness and one of the ways not the only ways but one of the ways to do this is to just say this is a currency that works but cannot be spent outside of the city mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how cool would that be yeah i have andrew jones's face <laughs> put on a little copper piece of metal that'd be awesome <laughs> i don't know he's sort of 
sort of a potato looking yeah thing. well i mean i think there I'm are kidding, yeah, <laughs> wow no, sorry i can't believe i just agreed to that publicly uh <laughs> yeah i mean, I guess there are a few things i mean just to run down down a, a list real quick on on each of these six points if i can remember them now i pulled up the piece of paper and threw it away uh <laughs> all things are for sale so so learn skills so that you don't so things just aren't always for sale you know, don't don't spend money on getting a moving company to move your refrigerator. Call up friends. Presume on love. I think that's a that's a big one. Um, and protest on the sale of um, goods. New, new. Yeah, on well, wheels. Well, protest on wheels. new new. <laughs> but like beautiful spaces. Yeah. You know, like things that have value because of what they do for the common good. Like try with what limited resources Americans have to save them from just being, you know. Yeah. Privatized I, for. I mean, everything's privatized. Yeah. I get that, but but we can at least at least in the kind of public good, and I mean, that's just like things that the city owns and kind of can keep. I mean, here it's just very simple. Like people try to buy the parks from the city. Yeah, and it's like even if the city is not necessarily doing the best they could do with the park, don't sell the parks. There's only so many things that even have a glimmer of common uh, of common use yep. and, and being for the common good. Yep. Just save them and then work on making them better as a community. Totally. totally. Don't sell out. Don't sell out. That's that's the tagline for the the next one's the, the greed takes over. So that's that's the first rule of money is just always knowing what your money's holding a place for. Uh, number three. Direct taxes would work here. Direct taxes would totally work. Like here. if if you want to. Oh, oh, baby just blaze. woke up. Okay, I'm gonna get. Blaze. All right, I'm gonna talk you about going. direct yeah. taxes, yeah. right? All right. Um, one thing that I'm going to speak about here is direct taxes. Oh, right, because the idea is that if you want to actually operate as a city, one of the big problems with the with cities is that they have they allow money to remain an abstraction by not being super clear on what the city taxes are for, and they often don't um, develop like really enticing like like why not instead of how do i put it just say what you want so you have an office and you want something really cool in a park or whatever it is just tell people that's what we want to do as a city and as your mayor as whatever all we need is ten dollars from everyone to do it then take everybody's ten dollars boom you've got two hundred thousand dollars and you can get the thing this is really in the end a direct tax it could also if it was at will it could be more just a donation that is sort of worked by your city but then you would have the clear vision that money is always for a particular good like blaze <laughs> what a dude hey man so we're here if you're uh, not watching on the video we're here with a young man who has never spent a single dime it's incredible he's gone this long it is really well good. We, we you put it even better yeah he hasn't spent money in this whole last year uh -huh. he went a whole year without spending spending money that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Good job. How'd you do it? He doesn't want to talk about it. I get it. So that's a good way. So the next one is um, the public good will be sacrificed for private gain. Yeah. I think that one is is perhaps doing something like what uh, Ruben's doing, just starting up, getting people to uh, volunteer and donate to help uh, start the mystery cycle. Yeah, I think that's a good good example. Yeah, so he's doing he's doing large uh, theater productions, yeah. uh, medieval mystery cycles, and then also Shakespeare and such. Yep. Yeah. So that's a good one. So instead of always having your money work, put it to to work 
or sorry, always instead of always putting your money to work so as to gain, put your money to work so as to have festivals and such. Yeah, and do things that are um, obviously just for the public good and not for yep. some esoteric way of somebody gaining something. Fire, fireworks should, I mean, people I've been noticing have been saying a lot of negative things about fireworks that they are just sense, desensitizing Americans to war and explosion. Forget all that. Oh, really? Fireworks are rad. They're awesome. And they're one of the few places where you can point to and say, look, we have an expenditure that's purely for the enjoyment of people. Yeah, we just blew up our money. We just literally blew up our money. Yeah. Let's do more of it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, number four is globalization. Answer. Trump. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. Four more years. Four more years. I don't know. Man. You can't globalize. You can't deglobalize and be a capitalist. I mean, you got to pick one. Yeah, that, was the, that was really the Trump conundrum. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. That's why, you know, the Austrian school is unequivocally uh, for for globalization, unequivocally for a global government, too. Yeah, yeah. And they wanted one, one whole global government. Uh, even Murray Rothbard, who's an anti-statist, you know, he was or so so claimed he wanted a, glo a global um, uh, mechanism, a court system, a global court system, a global um currency i mean it was, it was, he wanted it all well one way just one way is to um one practical thing you can do for your city to not be obsessed with money in this regard is the um development of um how do i put it it just <laughs> like just don't maybe this isn't something that's easy to do but basically don't worry about attracting corporations mm. don't like once once you gain positions of political power um don't let that be <laughs> such a happy baby mm. hey dude you're not a baby anymore i'm sorry uh don't let that be the marker of success because then all revitalization and all community building is really just an extended exercise in selling out right and this just requires actual like backbone in cities and in um business people yep yep okay good faith is destroyed in good. the way of trickery opened go to church <laughs> okay good that's, that's that's a good one uh and then the virtue thing just just raise up take moments to to praise the praise good acts of virtue how do you do that well i've seen some different ways of doing it people will have like um a hall of fame uh, like cities will have a hall of fame where um it's just you get like an artist who can do portraits or maybe small statuettes or something like that and then every year you um pick someone in the community and try not to do it uh, it would be my advice not to do it democratically actually but to have like good people pick virtuous people for the hall of fame because Unfortunately, if most people are inspired by greed, then in fact, a democratic, hey, who's going to the Hall of Fame this year can be like, you know, whoever is doing a great job with his with his lawn mowing business and what they're really validating is success mm -hmm, and not virtue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, all of which is to say that's a really on the nose way of trying to have a city that values virtue. We should do that. Let's okay. do it. Let's do it. All right. It's actually not even strictly my idea uh the owner of our, our bookstore downtown suggested yeah. it to me not mr marks not specifically in reference to virtues but i think 
I think that's sort of where he was where he was driving it. Well, let's do it. Cool. We hope this inspired some ideas. We hope that you guys will let us know what uh, you've done to help reorient your city towards the good. And if you listen to this whole thing and thought to yourself, wow, my city is certainly not obsessed with money. Good job. You made it. <laughs> All right. Till next time, everybody. Bye-bye.